A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby, and today... The U.S. economy, we're told, is going gangbusters. High growth, low unemployment, the Fed set to continue with rate rises, probably a total of four this year, whilst Europe, well, not so good. Last week, Mario Draghi from the ECB said they won't be raising rates till late next year, a sign that they're seeing growth slow. So why the dichotomy between the two economies, and how long will it last? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Well, Donald Trump forecast the U.S. economic growth would reach 4% in his first year, and he wanted it to reach 6% in the near term. Well, the Atlanta Fed is now saying that their estimate for GDP in the second quarter of 2018 is going to be 4.8%. Others predict it's going to be around 3.7%, but in any case, that's well above the 2.2% annual growth in the first quarter. Manufacturing is picking up, unemployment is falling, and investors seem to be flocking there. The U.S. Federal Reserve has just lifted interest rates for the second time, supposedly to keep the economy from overheating, and they plan to do it two more times this year. Compare that to Europe, where the ECB recently downgraded its forecasts and said it won't lift interest rates until the latter part of 2019, and that's got investors worried. Growth in Europe is around 2.5%. We're seeing the US dollar rise this year, whilst the euro is sliding, and the UK is doing worse. Growth is expected to be 1.3% this year, the slowest it's been since 2009. So, Steve, when one economy is doing so much better as is the case in the US. Isn't it a bit self-fulfilling? You know, if I'm an investor, I'm going to invest in the country that's doing well, which, of course, is going to help that country grow. And so it goes on. That's one of those positive feedback things that was an essential part of Minsky's financial instability hypothesis. He said that when you have, pardon me, if you have a crisis... In the aftermath of the crisis, everybody's conservative about uh, investing, about borrowing money and so on, and everybody wants to have a large buffer in case things go wrong. And then as it turns out, the economy actually is in recovery phase. People are more willing to invest, so they actually have a higher desire to invest in capital goods, to mm. establish new businesses, et cetera, et cetera, which is all positive. They also have a higher desire to do that with borrowed money, which is positive initially, and then it can actually become overwhelming. So in that sense, America is well ahead, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> well ahead of where uh, the Europe has got to because uh, even though it's still got you know far too much private debt after the crisis than it had beforehand, uh, it's back to the stage where that's growing, where Trump is throwing a major stimulus at the economy, possibly unintentionally, through the combination of uh, not having cut spending as much and large tax cuts. So there's plenty of money boosting into the American economy and causing it to grow, and it's likely to grow above trend, which will be the first time it's done that in, I think, 11 years. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of people are saying, actually, this is before the uh, the impact of Donald Trump's tax cuts 
uh, kick in. And of course, also, you know, that he tried to repatriate profits as well back to the US as well. So companies had to bring their money back that might have sat overseas. So supposedly that gets invested in, in, in growth as well. So it's hard not to look at this, though, and say, you know, Donald Trump's had some part in this, even though, you know, perhaps it was it was it was inevitable um, that the, the Trumpster has obviously had some influence here. He has had some influence. And, and um, it's partly because, you know, there, even though there hasn't passed the, all the tax cuts and so on, there's been, uh, by the looks of it, a substantial increase in the American deficit. Mm. And the main thing is that they've, they've recovered from the from the downturn that they had in uh, in credit. So credit is now positive again, not particularly positive, and there were good odds, like in terms of the, the scale, I think it's running at about 7% of GDP right now versus 15% before the crisis, uh, before the crisis actually hit minus six in its depth. But it's still positive. You're still getting an addition to demand, and you're getting that positive feedback effect that uh, leads initially to growth and then to... Um, Runaway debt, and then you got another little um, bit of fun on your hands. Right. Okay. So that's that's the follow-on. Well, let's well before we get to that, let's look at what's happening right now. So presumably, a lot of money is flowing to the United States right now. So, you know, people are saying yes, let's let's invest in the U.S. Money that might have gone to Europe or might have gone to emerging markets. People say, well, it's not worth taking the risk. Let's put the money in the United States. Are there any downsides for the U.S. in that? That's surely all good upside, isn't it? Well, it's it's got to have a rising dollar coming out of this, and that's actually going to be something which helps. Uh, cause Donald Trump's favourite problem, which is imports being too high. Mm. So uh, as the dollar increases in value, which it is doing right now, people are selling down the euro, buying buying the American dollar as well. That makes it cheaper for Americans to buy imported goods. So it's got a it's a feedback which he won't like. But uh, and a large part of if you look at the country which is. You have two countries, one of which is running a deflationary policy, and let's call that country the European Union, just to choose a name at random, and the other one, America, running an expansionary policy, then what you will have is a leakage of the stimulus program from the uh, stimulus-running country, America, to, to the uh, austerity-running country, you know, European Union, which will benefit the European Union. So there's a one of the reasons that you can actually argue in favour of, of of trade barriers or of something which restricts the purchasing of foreign goods, right. courtesy of a domestic because, and stimulus, and that's only just because of the movement yeah. in currencies. You're saying that's 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 all. That's part, well, it's, it's, it's also also because um, you know I, I think there's been a the change in momentum of the economy as well from people's willingness to borrow as the as the economy recovers. Uh, as it had done out of the crisis, there's a high willingness to borrow, there's a high willingness to invest. And that's, it looks like it's actually going to drive America past the point where workers can, would normally be demanding wage rises through their unions. But duh, they haven't got any unions because they've all effectively been yeah. castrated or abolished. Um, so at some point, I think it's going to get to the point where American employers are effectively screaming for workers by offering higher wages to attract them in. And uh, I think it's worth going to see quite possibly a spike in inflation in America sometime in the near future. And that should be real fun because I completely expect the Federal Reserve to totally misinterpret that and whack up rates quite heavily and cause a very sudden downturn. Well, they're already saying four times this year. They've done it, uh, what, they've done it twice. They're going to do it two more times. So you think they could uh, mm. start to say, well, this is getting serious now. We need to whack it up even more and perhaps not going up a quarter of a percent, go up half a percent or or more each time. Don't think they're going to go for a half percent rise. I mean, they could well make that mistake. I wouldn't rule it out. 
but the the quarter percent has become institutionalised ever ever since the level of private debt got to be as extreme as it was as around the 2000s, rather than making the sort of 1% move that Vokla made back in the inflationary uh, 70s and 80s, they went down to a quarter percent. And I don't think there's been anything more than a quarter percent move up for, oh God, 10, 20 years. No. There have been 1% moves down because, of course, they completely... Uh, they were completely sidelined by the uh, financial crisis back in 2008. Once they realised it was actually happening, uh, which is after they after the recession began, then they started cutting rates at, a, rates at about 1% per meeting for a while. So the, what you're describing, though, where the, the, the situation where people start to go, well, it's, it's not competitive now to, uh, to make goods in, in the U.S., because, largely because, the, uh, because the, the flow of money into the U.S. Uh, pushes up the, the, the value of the U.S. dollar, so, the, uh, so it becomes uh, more cost-effective, presumably, then, for people to buy stuff from overseas rather than making it locally. That sort of sounds a bit like, you know, the old invisible hand. It's, uh, you know, dealing with it, with international competitiveness. It's sort of like finding its, dare I use the word, equilibrium, Steve. No, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, is, it is the system trying to... It's a, feed, it's, it's a system with a whole set of you know, very complex feedbacks. And if you do have uh, domestic stimulus and the economy is expanding, then you're going to have... Um, a potential for your your currency to rise in in value because people will again the international speculators will be buying your dollar rather than buying a dollar of a country which is showing a, a negative trend and uh, bang up go the rates and they up go the exchange rate and therefore your uh, competitiveness declines so people are going to buy you know potentially buy more imports that way um, so it's it's not equilibrium it's feedback on a complex system yeah and it works on bonds as well of course so government bonds become less popular when you're in a situation like you have in the united states at the moment because shares are giving a better return so that uh, that means the price of bonds falls but given that you know you get a, a set return based on the original price you get a better yield when prices are lower and uh, so that sort of equalizes itself out because then people start going, oh, well, uh, we get a better yield on bonds. Maybe we should flood back to them. And so you've got 10-year government bond yields uh, in the U.S. at, um, well, they have been as high as 3%. They're about two point, a little over 2.9% of us recording this, but only mm. 0.4% in German bonds. So, again, if you're wanting mm. to invest in, in government bonds... Again, you'd be looking at the United States rather than Europe, wouldn't you? Because you, you're getting then you'd a far be buying bonds, and if you, if you buy the bonds, you drive the, interest, the price of bonds up and the interest rate down. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, again, all, all these effects uh, yeah. is, is potentially and potentially as destabilizing as they are stabilizing. And the, the one uh, that I, you know, of course, always focus on is that what's going to happen to the level of private debt? Will they get to the point where you start reaching a, a peak? And does that cut out credit demand at some stage? Because at the moment, credit demand at the, at the USA is running at about 6.4% of GDP. Now, that's substantially more than the rate of growth of GDP itself, no. which means that the level of debt starting to rise once more. But it's way below the peak that it reached back in 2006 when it hit as much as uh, 15% of GDP. Um, so you, you've had this, the classic phrase that Minsky talks about, uh, which is the prelude to a, to a takeoff boom, because his, his thesis was mainly around a se sequence of cycles which began with a, um, a low level of debt rather than the level of reach right now. He's, he's talking in the lead-up to a Minsky moment rather than the aftermath of a Minsky moment. But nonetheless, the same sort of thing applies. If you've survived a Minsky moment, and America has done that, um, <clears throat> then 
when you have a sufficient time of that receding in the past, people tend to forget that it even happened, mm. and therefore the willingness to uh, to invest rises. The economy will grow faster because of that. You also get more speculation being financed at the same time. And uh, one of the most it just it still made me just you know completely shake my head when I saw it. I was in Ireland last year, I think it was, for the um, Kilkenny Comedy Festival, which you better come along to this next year, mate. Mm. Did you come last year? No, you no. Did. Pardon me. No, I wasn't there. You didn't. No. Well, come along. I'm, I'm come glad along. I made it's such a presence. Yeah. <laughs> do you mean, do you mean really, did I go with I you? I'm going no, to insult you by saying you, you, you weren't there. Right, okay. I was worried about insulting you. I don't think he was there. No, no. Um, anyway, there I was, and, and there's a the copy of the, whatever they call it, the Irish, or whatever the leading Irish newspaper is. On the very front page is a, is a story of the Central Bank of Ireland governor saying that house prices are not a one-way bet. And this is, I think, two years after house prices had fallen by 50%. Now, that is a classic case of people forgetting what happened in the past mm. and just going on as if it, almost as if it never happened. So you do have this period of a boom afterwards, and this is where Minsky's uh, right. thesis comes in once so more. This is You're going you... to have people borrowing more money to finance more investment. Right, so that is the big danger then in the United States. You're saying it's not happening yet, but it could happen where people start to... Uh, uh, to borrow because they get caught up in the moment and they forget what's happening in the past. Uh, the economy is looking great. There's specul. There's an opportunity to speculate here. Uh, let's forget about government bonds. Let's buy more shares. Let's borrow money to buy those shares, uh, and let's go out shopping as well because uh, everything's so hunky dory. That's that's the concern you think, rather than that's what, that's what a lot of people would say is the concern mm-hmm. is that uh, Donald Trump has borrowed so much and therefore government debt is being racked up through all of this. Yeah, the government debt is effectively irrelevant between two reasons: or the, the standard reason that you wouldn't worry about being in debt to a bank you owned, yeah. uh, which is the situation that the Americans, that any, any country with its own currency is in. But secondly, it's also the reserve currency of the planet. And uh, with the reserve being the reserve currency of the planet, it can pay, pay for imports the same way. So even, mm. uh, you know, there's no worry about it uh, being forced to devalue courtesy of that um, um, that that. You know, Run, you know, run down of the value of the, the dollar. Yeah. Um, but just to give you an idea of uh, when I'd think the, we got to the bottom of the Minsky moment, the top of the Minsky moment was when private debt plunged from 15% of GDP to minus six, and that was in 2010. So at that stage, you had the fastest rate of decline of, of, of debt, which means negative credit, which is really dragging the economy down. That was 2010. If you want to see when it gets to the stage where they're now back to a flat line, then that that occurred in 2012, beginning of 2012. And then even though what, what you had was credit, at that stage, credit was neither negative, it was zero. zero. The change in private debt was zero, so credit was zero. So all the demand in the economy is coming just from turnover of existing money. Mm. Now you've got that climbing up to, it, it peaked at a 6.6% rate in the middle of 2000. And 15, which is now three years ago, it's still at that level. So it's been flatlining for those three years. And is that sustainable? If it, if it stayed at that level, would we have a problem, or is that is that a, a healthy position? Well, that at that level, private debt is now rising. Right, and that's that's so. You go back because to it's going higher, than, higher than the rate of inflation, or the higher than the rate yeah. of growth, GDP growth. Yeah, so. but if you if you find that the absolute bottom for private debt was in. 2000 after the crisis was 2015 probably february or march and 148 percent of gdp and it's now 151 percent of gdp that's still about 20 percent below the peak but it is rising 
So you've got the, the sort of the mechanics that Minsky talked about are, are rebuilding themselves once more. And the thing which I think is most intriguing about this particular cycle is that you know, the, the big puzzle for the mainstream has been why haven't wages been rising? If the economy is recovering, if unemployment is as low as they're saying that it is right now, what, what do, you, do you have the figures on your fingertips to what they're saying the unemployment rate is in the States right now? Oh, about 3.8, 3.9%. So that's the current. Now, if you look back and see when was the last time America had a rate of an unemployment that low, the answer, uh, remarkably, uh, is April of 2000. Mm. So in that sense, people would be saying, OK, the economy is absolutely booming. And the intriguing thing is to watch Donald Trump's change of, change of data reference points, because, of course, before he got elected, he was focusing effectively on the U6 unemployment rate. And U6 uh, puts the uh, unemployment rate about twice the level that you, you see right now. Now he's focusing on the U3 uh, which is, you know, <laughs> talk about being able, willing to, to read from the page of the script you actually want uh, your which data to come the from. They're yeah, cherry-picking. Yeah, yeah so, all the time, but, I mean, that, but that, Why is that? I know, I mean, when, when you talked about it before, there's no trade unions, but the, but at some point... There's no will, trade unions, yeah. At, at some point, yeah, though, the, you think, we will see it kick in because, the, because there will be a shortage of workers and you're just going to have to pay more to try and get the people you want, I guess, at, at some stage. And I think not too far in the future. Just looking at the, the U6 unemployment rate, which includes discouraged workers, it cuts out a lot of the crazy questions that are asked to uh, have somebody who is unemployed recorded as not unemployed, such as, you know, have you worked once for one hour in the last month or uh, have you applied for a job in the last two weeks? Answer uh, the wrong way to either of those and you're not recorded as unemployed. Mm. But the U6 unemployment rate doesn't have those trick questions in it. So the U6 unemployment rate is currently 7.8%. Now, to compare that to what it was like before the, uh, before the crisis, uh, it got as low in March 2007 as 8%, and the last time it was below the 7.8% level was back in uh, just before the 2001 downturn. Wow. So and in that sense, if you actually look at how, how low that can go, it's getting close to how low it can go in terms of America's past history. So... Um, so to me, that, that implies, okay, even though I'm, I'm sceptical about the headline unemployment rate, the, this background unemployment is still reaching the level where, yes, it's going to get to the point where employers are saying, we can't find this, the workers we want. We've got to offer a higher wages for them. And damn, we're going to, have to offer higher wages to our current workers as well. And in that situation, you're likely to see a rapid spike in inflation rather than the slow sort of thing that would have been there if the trade unions had existed to bargain over this stuff as, as, as unemployment fell. Wow. Um, so I, that's going to be fun because when it happens, that's when the reserve, the central bank will think, great, we're back in business again. This is the sort of thing we're supposed to do. We're supposed to push the inflation rate down rather than up. Let's whack up interest rates. And holy shit, what the hell happened? Because at that stage, you'll have uh, the, the uh, private debt level back to about 160% of GDP again. People will start deleveraging once more because it's costing them too much to carry that debt. Credit will go from positive to negative and we'll have a Federal Reserve induced slump, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to. <laughs> right. But how often does it happen? And maybe then Europe uh, you know, rises, uh, rises up in the, uh, in the aftermath of all of that. How common is it that we have the situation where we are now, where we have one economy that is uh, supposedly going gangbusters and we have other economies like Europe, uh, which were seen as 
showing growth now seems to have been forgotten about and people are going well now actually europe is perhaps going slower than we thought it was how how common is it we get this sort of dichotomy between the two economies not particularly it, it, it is a very desynchronized system that's the intriguing thing because uh the big divergence really came after the financial crisis itself because the american reaction uh, of the American policymakers at the time was to quote unquote ensure that the, the capitalism doesn't collapse on our watch, and that's in a quote from Ed Lazare, direct face-to-face conversation with me back in God was that 2010 I think. Um, that that's the that's the feeling that the uh, Bush the Bush cabinet had, if they didn't throw everything they could at the economy, then it would collapse and they'd be the ones who'd be blamed for the failure of capitalism when they were sort of, you know, died in the wall pro-capitalists. So that was the attitude there. Of course, on the other hand, in Europe, uh, it was you're exceeding the Maastricht Treaty limits, you must cut back your spending. And you had Europe go into a uh, effectively a depression, which it's only just started to emerge from, but nothing like the scale of emergence that the United States is is going through. Right. And so the consequence of that, we do see movement in currency. So the euro is losing value. So then if you're an investor from outside Europe, you'd be saying, well, it's worth buying stuff in Europe now because um, it's so cheap. I'm going to buy a company or I'm going to um, help this company invest to grow. Surely that would sort of, again, that would level things out, wouldn't it? Yeah, and you're going to get a, you know, in that sense, you're going to get an export surplus coming out of it. So um, they can do they can do better out of that than they would do otherwise. So um, this this is going to uh, it will slowly give Europe a bit of a fill up. Again, they're going to think they're out of the woods. Again, they're going to put up rates. So the, 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 the central bank's role in life was always to be the, the, to, to push the rate of inflation down by pushing up the rate of interest and causing unemployment to rise as well. And when they're seeing the levels of unemployment they've got in the States, they'll do it very soon. In Europe, they're not seeing that fall in unemployment at all. Uh, and in the aggregate level, it's, you know, it's flatlining at about twice the level of the American or higher, I think, more than twice the unemployment mm. rate in America. The, the, so what- um, the American unemployment rate has now fallen to 4 point, uh, well, you know, of the order of 4.3%. I've got my data here at 3.8, of course, with more recent data and the Federal Reserve, whereas the same time period, which is uh, the middle of 2017, unemployment rate in Europe, on average, the Euro region was 9.3%. Mm. So you have, where, where if you go back to the crisis itself, um, when the crisis, before the crisis hit, there was a very large divergence in unemployment rate. So um, uh, let's go for the very low, lowest level for the uh, USA was 4.4%. At the same time of year, it was 7.5. Then the crisis hit America far harder than it hit Europe. So when you get to 2010, which is the depth of the downturn for America, the unemployment rate in both countries was 10%, or both regions 10%. Then you have, uh, by 2011, 2000. Yeah, but middle of 2011, unemployment rate was falling in Europe and falling in America as well. Then the Europeans went for austerity. And this is quite intriguing when you compare it. Then un- the unemployment rate, and this is including Germany as well as you know, the booming economies, as well as including uh, France and Italy and Spain and so on and Greece. Unemployment rose from that point for the European Union from, let's go back to the beginning again, so from 10% in the middle of 2011 to 12% in the middle of 2013, while at the same time the unemployment rate in America fell by about the same margin, went from 10% to about 8%. And then only in 2013 did you see a sustained turnaround in European unemployment 
Uh, it's continuing to fall in line with the Americans, but it's still about twice the level. So the, the Europeans are, are far worse off now compared to America than they were before the crisis. So you're hit. saying that's, that is because of the, uh, the austerity approach, which the United States hasn't seen to, seen to the same extent. In fact, obviously now it's completely the opposite of, uh, of austerity, mm-hmm. isn't it, in terms of the United States, where Donald Trump is yes, spending yeah, 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 cutting back on tax. Yeah, so that, that's, 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 it's, a, it's a real interesting policy comparison because uh, you know, the, the European Union attitude has always been if we enforce the discipline of uh, of auto-liberalism on all these government budgets, then we'll have a well-functioning economy. It's worked out pretty well for Germany. It hasn't worked out so well for, uh, for, Europe, for Europe as a whole. So what should the United States do now then? If, they, if the concern is that you know, a buoyant economy will mean that there is more speculation, how do they control that? How do they stop themselves getting to the next phase, uh, which is you know, the, the economy peaks and, uh, and the bubble bursts and they start on the big decline again? Well, they'd have to say something about the level of private debt, which they're not going to do. So it's just going to happen, I think. This is what, that's why my expectation is for a boom. Um, then with a you sort of once the, once the boom is well and truly entrained, then a, a very sharp spike to inflation. Then the Federal Reserve's reaction will be we've got to fight the inflation back. What they'll argue in terms of their models of the economy, the dynamic stochastic general equilibrium models that they think describes the real world, uh, they will believe that what they call the uh, actual uh, level of capacity utilisation is greater than the um, long-term level of capacity utilisation and they have to reduce that level of demand down below the actual and that's when they start putting up interest rates twice as fast as they think the inflation rate is changing. So they could well get to uh, you know, an interest rate above 4%. I think that's going to be real fun. Once they get around that sort of level, the, the debt servicing burden on Americans in debt uh, is going to be great, large enough potentially to trigger what happened back when the 1937, which when Roosevelt was persuaded... Uh, by his economic advisors that the crisis was over and unemployment had fallen to 11%. Uh, let's get back to balancing the government's books again, which he started to do, and the impact was unemployment hit 20% once more. Mm. So not, not, not to the same scale of numbers, but certainly I think uh, there'll be an unexpected, slow, sudden slow disappearance of demand. Where did that come from? Nobody, nobody could have seen this coming, and bang, uh, demand drops out of the economy and you're back into a recession. In this case, quite literally caused by the Federal Reserve. Well, they are going to keep on lifting interest rates, aren't they, for the next year or so. And then, of course, uh, the consequences of uh, whoever, uh, perhaps the second term of of Donald Trump, or after that, uh, the next government saying, well, we've now got to rein in all this uh, this debt that's been... um, accrued by the last government. So you, you get a double whammy, don't you? You get that, that as well in the, after, for whoever follows. Actually, it could be even more fun than that because, like, we're looking at them. We're talking now the middle of 2018. Um, I mean, America's always in election mode, but the actual um, election itself is, what, November 2020? I've got a feeling that it will happen before then because we're talking, looking at where rates are right now, it's only going to take an, another year's worth of rises before we're back in the 35 4% range. And I think at that point, the, the pressures on credit are going to be such uh, that that's when deleveraging is likely to start once more. So I've got a feeling it might happen during 
uh, Donald Trump's campaign. And then I think the intriguing thing was rather than having the FBI and the CIA and the Democrats as his major enemies, he'll have the Federal Reserve as his major enemy. And that, actually, I would go buy popcorn to watch that. That'd be real fun. (laughs) But what happens to Europe when all of this happens? Because, of course, Europe has sort of held itself back because it's not gone through this uh, sort of expansionary approach. Uh, and uh, because of austerity, it's it's slowed the economy down from what you're saying. It's going to get pulled down again, isn't it, with the United States? It's not as though the U.S. is going to suffer because of debt and then Europe goes, well, now it's our time to shine. Uh, if, 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 if the U.S. goes down, the world goes down with it, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's also, I think Europe's going to stop itself going up by believing that now that a bit of a recovery is taking place because unemployment is falling, they're going to say right now is the time to get the uh, government's books back in order once more and they'll... Um, with the attempt to impose austerity at one extreme, uh, they will just continue growing in a very you know, sluggish way. And the response of the ECB is going to be keep its rates down. So you're going to get an extreme, I think, divergence of interest rates between Europe and America. And that implies a fair bit of fun and arbitrage trades. Mm. Uh, the Mrs. What, what they call the Mrs. Watanabe effect, where people will be uh, it'd be it'd be this case it'd be um, uh, it'd be Mrs. What's what's the what's the ideal German housewife Frau? Um, I don't know. There's a particular region that is famous for being frugal with its money, and uh, that, that that particular fraud will be out there buying American bonds to get a higher rate of return, yeah. uh, taking out European money and buying buying American bonds to do it. Which uh, we should be doing that now, wouldn't she? Because I mean, we're talking, we're talking, as I said, you know, bond yields in the US are 2.9% versus 0.4% in Germany. So presumably she'd be doing it now. Of yeah. course, you've got, to factor in the, you've got to factor in the exchange rate, of course, into, into, into all of that. But if the exchange rate is rising as well, which we do at the same mm. time, get a rising American dollar, a higher yield in American bonds, yes, I think you're going to see a large arbitrage trade coming out of that. So I guess the, the the people who do badly out of all of this as well are emerging markets. You know, it's the rest of the world. So here is us looking at uh, the United States and Europe. But uh, look, if 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 the United States is doing well, even if it's only a short term thing, and you're saying a very short term thing, who's going to invest in emerging markets where there is a risk? But at least that risk provides payback for people and helps growth in those emerging markets. If if it's too high risk because perceive there's less risk elsewhere, then those emerging markets are going to struggle. I think we're already seeing that. Well, I mean, but also they can produce their own money. I mean, this is the other thing. China's not going to have any worry about this because uh, they, you know, they're quite willing to turn on the credit spigot when they need to and they're able to. Mm. And they're quite willing to replace that with the government spending when they need to and are able to. So and you know, it's, it's, it's the yeah. endogenous factors that are going to give you genuine growth rather than foreign investment. So it might have an impact on their currency valuations, but that actually works in their favour as well because of the American dollars getting more expensive. They don't need to try to suppress their own currencies for trade advantages. So China wins. Ultimately, that's I think it. China wins. <laughs> every every game these days ends up with China winning. But that is pure and simple, isn't it? Because, as you say, they print their own money. If they if the yeah. uh, if if they need to uh, buoy up the economy. Uh, and the private sector is not doing it, then the government just creates money and does it themselves. Yeah, and they're doing it with the Silk Road project as yeah. well as uh, domestically. So they're actually expanding the reach of the, and the uh, relevance of the renminbi as, a, as an international currency. All right, well, we'll watch it all unfold. Uh, you reckon over the next couple of years it's going to be interesting, uh, but we shouldn't get too excited about the US growing so well because it's just a very short point in history uh, and we'll soon see it slide down the other way, only more so. 
I think that's possible. And what I'm really hoping is it all happens before the 2020 election, so it can be really good fun to see how Donald Trump reacts to that. <laughs> all right, very good. Well, maybe, uh, perhaps at that stage, you hope he's in jail. Uh, <laughs> might be an easier solution for <laughs> no. Grace, talk Steve. We'll catch you again very soon. Okay, mate. Not that that's going to happen, of course, because he is Mr. Teflon. Nothing will ever stick on him. And if the economy tanks, uh, well, of course, that's going to be someone else's fault as well, because he is faultless. He is the new messiah. We all know that. Now, next time, uh, we are increasingly moving to a cashless society. What does that mean for the economy and the control of the central banks that like to keep an eye on the amount of money that's in circulation? We'll talk about all of that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.